0: Why, hello there. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards, host, pureandsimplebible.com, and I'm so glad to have an opportunity to talk to you one-on-one. We are in the middle of a Bible study from Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, we're talking about endurance racing in the kingdom. So it's just you and me this week, and if this is your first time to listen to the podcast, I'd really encourage you to pause the episode and go back to last week and at least get the context for the study that we're about to have today. If you're a regular, then I just want to encourage you to remember that hopefully next week I will have some new guests uh, recorded for you. You know, here's something for you to think about. Um, I had two episodes. Those of you who uh, are familiar with the podcast, I try to put them out in numerical order. And it's really odd because I uh, put out episode number 230 and then uh, I thought I had put out 231 and 232 because last week, whenever I posted the beginning of this conversation, I posted it as episode 233. And after it posted, I noticed that it went from 230 to 233. And 231 and 233... Two were missing. I was shocked, scandalized, revolted at this oversight. And then I went and looked at when the episodes came out and I realized I hadn't posted an episode since like a month ago, but I had the episodes done. And so the episodes that should have been coming out each Monday were just chilling and I hadn't posted them. So big smack to the forehead, I've got more episodes that ought to have come out already. And on one hand, I thought, you know, I'll just release them next. And, you know, then that'll give me a buffer so I can go record some more conversations. And then I thought, no, people that enjoy Pure and Simple Bible have been waiting. You know, it's supposed to be coming out week by week, and it's been several weeks because of that oversight. So here's a gift to everyone listening to this episode today, I guess if you're listening to it later on, um, you can listen to these episodes anytime you want. But if you're listening to this kind of in in real time and this episode just came out and and, uh, you're following along, I want you to go back to the podcast page. Um, Let's see, maybe I'll do it in the next couple hours. Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do. So I post these at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. I'm going to post the other two at 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. So if you wanted to go on a Pure and Simple Bible binge, then every hour for the next three hours, um, this one and then another two episodes, I'm going to put them all out the same day because you deserve to have that content that should have been coming out weeks ago. Sorry about that. Uh, As a mostly one-man show, uh, I've got a lot of different hats that I wear to make sure that these episodes get out. And obviously I forgot to put the uh, release date hat on. And so that conversation that I had um, is a really good one. It's about desire, battling desire with Brother Branch from California. And uh, anyway, so go check that out. It'll, It'll post soon. And then if you're listening to this later on, it'll just be there for you to look at, but that'll be why the numbers probably aren't in order. You might be looking on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you'll notice that the order goes 230, 233, 244, and then 231. Well, that's why. So anyway, let's talk about Hebrews chapter 12. We are in the middle of a study, you and I, where uh, I've been talking about this endurance racing in the kingdom. Last week, just as a bit of a review, something that I've been emphasizing a lot at Valley Parkway Church of Christ is the need to put on context glasses, or what I commonly call them as Jewish glasses, because especially as as Americans, uh, 21 centuries removed from the New Testament, and uh, over, let's see, I don't know how many different generations removed from the Jewish culture of that time to where we are today, and and I'm a Gentile, by the way, and and I think a lot of my listeners are probably Gentiles as well, it's important to put on glasses, meaning like a lens to look through, that can give us context of what's going on in Bible times. So what I tell the members of the church uh, whenever I'm preaching, and and we're going to talk about uh, something from that time, whenever the books were written, or or maybe it's even recalling issues in the past. As I'll say, hey, we need to put on our Jewish glasses, or our first century reader glasses, as we look at this. And and the the image that we want to get is that imagine that you see the world in black and white, and when you put on these glasses, you see in color. the The truth itself, the 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 ability to know the doctrine um, doesn't change, but what this does offer is a bit more insight and uh, some, some, I guess, appreciation for what's going on during that time, and therefore I think a a better uh, love and, and ability to cherish the Word of God by seeing it through the lens that these people saw it through. So specifically in the book of Hebrews, we want to put on these Jewish Christian glasses from the first century, and we're wanting to I guess appreciate and kind of put ourselves in their shoes in such a way to know what they're going through. And there is a theme for this book. It's kind of a dual theme, and each part of of what we're talking about um, is is related to this theme. And the theme, first off, is to elevate Jesus as superior, and second, to challenge the reader or the listener uh, to remain faithful. And so you got these Jewish Christians who are on the verge of a great persecution. They're starting to say things like, we ought to go back to our old faith because there was so much pedigree there. There was uh, just uh, 1,500 years of all these Bible heroes and, and the, the customs and everything about it. It's, it's so developed, and this Jesus thing is brand new, and it's not developed, and it just seems so paltry and so weak. Meanwhile, the writer, who knows through the power of the Holy Spirit just how awesome Jesus' way is, is striving to teach them to remember Jesus' way is superior, right? If you were to go back to an imperfect system, you would be losing out on the author and perfecter of our faith, that is Jesus and and his way. And not only that, but you would fall from grace. Grace wouldn't be able to protect you if you left this faith for something uh, that does not have that system any longer. So the writer's trying to encourage them to remember that Jesus is faithful, and we we talked about two big points from Hebrews 12. First, this idea of running the race of endurance, and the way that this section, verse 1 through 4, encapsulates that dual theme of elevating Jesus as superior and challenging the reader to remain faithful is summed up in this sentence, kingdom living is like running an endurance race. Pretty simple, right? But that's what that section is about. Go back and listen to last week's podcast, if this didn't make sense. I spend a lot of time talking about it. And then we talked about Hebrews twelve verse four through eleven, about discipline. And if you, if you don't have discipline, um, we're illegitimate. That's what the scripture says. We have earthly fathers who disciplined us as seemed best to them, and we appreciate that at least in a a balanced, healthy home, right? And and discipline. We're disciplined. Um, or rather we endure because of discipline. And so when, when trials come our way, it's an opportunity to exercise and to, to grow and to practice that enduring nature. And we understand that discipline, it seems painful, but it yields a harvest of peace and righteousness. So I would summarize this section under that, that big dual theme of elevating Jesus as superior and then challenging the reader to remain faithful. I would summarize that section as, the race, the kingdom living, the race of kingdom living requires painful discipline, but it's worth it. And it's true. It really is worth it. I want to share with you the guy who had the closing announcements after I preached this sermon a while ago, got up and said, you know, I think about what it will be like in heaven in 10 million years. And will I even remember the struggles that I had here, well, I even paused to ask the question, was it worth it? Because I'd been here for 100 years and there for 10 million, and I'm just getting started. I thought that was a really beautiful assessment of it. We're running a, a long-distance race towards eternity, and in a full marathon, for example, it's 26.2 miles, you might feel like you're in mile 20, uphill. Your knees are burning. Your lower back is burning right? Your feet, maybe they're swollen. and You might feel like, I don't have anything left. And what Hebrews 12, verse 4 through 11 reminds us is that discipline, the chastisement of the Lord, it may be painful in the moment, but it yields. Harvest of peace and righteousness is definitely worth it. Now, we've got two other sections. That's what we're talking about today. Two other sections that will help us in Hebrews 12, see that big dual theme of elevating Jesus as superior and challenging the reader to remain faithful. The first one is in verses 12 through 17. It's the pursuit of peace and holiness. And this scripture um, starts at verse 12, and I'm just going to kind of read and comment on it our way through this section. It says, therefore, ooh, let's just stop for a moment. And you know, if you listen to me whenever I do expository teaching, you know that when we find the word "therefore," it's a big red flag, and it's there. Uh, it's put there to for us to think about what it's there for, right? So when I see the word "therefore," I immediately want to back up. Now uh, I'm not going to, because I've already summarized, but that "therefore" means based on what we just learned, based on this idea that discipline. Seems painful in the in the moment, but it will yield a fruitful harvest of righteousness and peace. Based on that concept, here are three commands: Lift your drooping hands, and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Now, some suggest that this is talking about weak members of the church, and and maybe that's true. Maybe it's in context about. the the drooping hands being weak members, but when I apply it to myself, and I'm the weak person, the the concept is when I am having str- struggles and it's a, a it is not pleasurable to endure, I got to remind myself to not droop the hands, to strengthen my knees and to make straight the paths of my faith. Now in long distance racing in mile twenty, I'm going to tell you I, I made a similar metaphor or example, last week, not metaphor, I I referenced a race that I've run. At mile 20, I was going uphill. And I can tell you, your hands droop and your knees are weak and your feet can be all over the place. It's really challenging. The problem is when you start running that way, it just makes things worse. And you slow down even more. You get zigzaggy. But Remember Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 said, look to Jesus. Jesus is ahead. He's down the road in the race and our eyes are on him. You put your eyes on the ground and your hands and your weak knees and your loop-de-loop path are just going to get worse. It's going to be hard and difficult, but by looking to Jesus, this is where the strength comes from. In fact, verse 14, Hebrews 12 verse 14, there's a dual command of what we're striving for, So we're going to strengthen ourselves, verse 12, 13. And then verse 14, we strive for a couple of things. Peace with everyone. We also strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So I've got things to strengthen myself. I've got strivings as I keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to be at peace with others. And I want to strive to be set apart and unique for God. Now, verse 15 and 16 and 17 are three commands that I'm going to call, see to it that no one, or see to it that no, right? Because it says it three times. Listen, first one goes, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And then I could put in a little parentheses, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And then I could put in brackets again, see to it that, the scripture continues, no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. So you get three different see to it that no one commands. First, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. I'm going to tell you, this ought to be one of the first quoted scriptures when we ask that simple question, can someone fall from grace? Some people look at Ephesians 2, that we're saved by grace through faith and not by works, lest anyone should boast. And maybe they look at Romans chapter five or Romans eight about you know no one can separate us from the love of God and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And I have to give a hearty amen to the scriptures, maybe not to that person's view, but I give a hearty amen to those scriptures. I agree we're saved by grace through faith. I agree that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that no one can separate us. I agree with all of those, but that doesn't answer the question, can you fall away? can you determine, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm overwhelmed. I've been overcome. And and I, I don't want to be a Christian. Some people will suggest, no, you don't get that. And uh, this, this is a view that we commonly refer to uh, as a Calvinistic view. I'm not a Calvinist, so I don't have that view. What I think is a more biblical way to look at it rather than assigning teachings from this theologian when i look at the scriptures in hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of god i put on those jewish readers right these these glasses that help me see it the way they would have saw it back then and i know that this audience is filled with jewish christians who Many of them were questioning, is this really worth it? Should we just quit and go back to Judaism? And the writer is telling them, if you do that, you will fail to obtain the grace of God, meaning it was possible for them to fail, to fall away. And that means it's possible for us to fall and to fail to obtain the grace of God as well. But that's not the only C2 command here. The other one says, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up. Bitterness is such an awful thing, and the writer refers to it as the root of bitterness. You know, if you have a weed in your yard, like a dandelion, or, which I like dandelions, by the way, uh, the, the flowers. I hate the little puffy part, but uh, I like the flowers. Anyway, say you've got a, a dandelion in your yard, and the puffy part comes up. If you just gently pluck off the puffy head, where all the seeds are, right? Uh, you don't get rid of it. Why? Because it's got roots and a whole plant. It'll just put up another head. You've got to dig down and get the whole root out if you want to get rid of it. And when we think about the root of bitterness, you know, bitterness, it starts out in in the heart in this root form where maybe one is envious or jealous or angry or uh, frustrated or or maybe hurt or wounded, whatever it may be that's caused the bitterness, but it eventually will grow into more than just roots. It'll be fruits and the fruits of bitterness, whether it be wishing ill or evil on others, not being able to celebrate their success, not being at peace because we're just constantly absorbed in what others have or how others are going through life and we're desperate to have what they have it kills your joy. It kills your contentment. Bitterness is like the weeds that when the seed is planted in the heart, it will spring up and choke the good news and make you focused on yourself. Then finally, there's a see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. And you know, Esau at first glance seemed like an odd reference, but when we put on our glasses, right, our Jewish readers, and we're looking at the context of this, we see a guy who gave up so much for a bowl of soup. Isn't that crazy? Gave up so much, his birthright, his inheritance, the blessing, the being in the family of God as the chosen lineage. He gave it up for a bowl of soup. And the comparison is, don't be unholy like that. Don't give up eternity for a hundred years of pleasure on this side of eternity. You've got a million times a million times a million times a million years, and you've got a hundred on this side. It's so easy to get distracted. And sexual immorality, you know, that's one of the big three, uh, maybe even more. You know, the big three from 1 John 2, 15, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh is definitely sexual immorality. The lust of the eyes can include sexual immorality. The pride of life, I don't know. I'm sure there's ways that some could, you know, reframe that to say that sexual immorality could be a part of the pride of life. The idea is there's so many different types of sexual sins. It's definitely one that is a snare to many. And so let's not instead of focusing on what the flesh wants, we got to remember, as 1 Corinthians 6 says, your body is not your own. You were bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. So instead of pursuing what my flesh wants, I pursue what God wants. And the Spirit, which lines up with what He wants, will be blessed. So um, let me summarize again, before we move into the last one. Let me summarize the, the big overall theme of Hebrews, elevating Jesus as superior, challenging the reader to remain faithful. In in chapter 12, the way that theme uh, manifests is this way. Number one, kingdom living, it's like running an endurance race. Number two, kingdom living requires painful discipline, but it's worth it. Number three, kingdom living pursues peace and righteousness. So here we are in the fourth section. It's verse 18 through 28. And instead of talking about the race and how the race can be difficult and painful, but we can endure it and and we lay aside every weight and every sin and we pursue peace and holiness, the latter part of chapter 12 focuses on the kingdom itself, this kingdom comparison. And what I might like to do is ask a question that I actually asked last episode And I talked about the scripture that episode, but it's been a week or longer. And I want you to chew on that scripture one more time. So put on your Jewish glasses one more time. All right. The eyes of the Jewish reader. And I want to ask this question. It may seem random, but it's it's about to make sense. Why should God's people and why should you read and meditate on and understand the Old Testament? Now, you might be thinking, well, that's odd. What does that have to do with Hebrews? Don't worry, it'll make sense. And what I'm going to suggest is that people who are willing to read and understand and meditate on the Old Testament, their faith will be built on a more solid foundation than those who built a faith by saying, I'll just read from Matthew to Revelation, and I'm just going to stick in the New Testament. The reason is, as I've made the case for previously, the Old Testament, and all of the uh, heroes of faith, the great narrative of uh, how God reconciles himself to mankind, all of the foreshadowings of the Messiah, all of the ways that law is introduced and showed to us, obedience, disobedience, it all finds its fulfillment in the New Testament. The New Testament, with all of its quotations of the Old, all of its references to the Old, it's built on a strong foundation of Old Testament. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That alone ought to tell us as Christians in the New Testament era that the Old Testament is for our instruction. But listen, it says that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Oh man, Old Testament is connected to endurance. Hebrews 12 is all about running this endurance race in the kingdom Verse 5, Romans 15, 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify God, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we study the Old Testament because it helps us endure. And when times get rough, we see that we are in a long line of God's faithful remnant, who have also had to endure hard times. And that's what Hebrews 12, the fourth part of this chapter, is all about. You see, you've got first attributes of the old kingdom versus attributes of this new unshakable kingdom. You've got a comparison of the law given at Sinai versus the what, what we're going to call Mount Zion. So I'd like to read it to you. Verse 18 through 21 is talking about the old mountain, the old, which is Sinai, the old law, the old covenant, the old way, the old kingdom. And it says, for you have not come to. And then it lists all the things that we haven't come to. And you'll notice it's a very tangible, physical place, Sinai. At Sinai, it says, for you have not come to what may be touched. What can be touched? Sinai, the mountain, You can go. we haven't come to the place that can be touched. And then it references a bunch of things in the book of Exodus, blazing fire, darkness, gloom, tempest, the sound of trumpets, a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. This, this list of the kingdom that we didn't come to, this physical, earthly, national Israel, we didn't come to that. And look at the conclusion of them anyway. When God reached out to them at Sinai to establish this new covenant after they came out of Egypt, after they're set free from bondage and God is ready to make this covenant commitment, the people say, no, don't talk to us. We don't want to hear God. Moses, you go talk to him instead. And it it sets up the whole covenant on this idea that instead of drawing near to God, They wanted somebody to draw near to him on their behalf. Verse 22 through 24, however, is about the kingdom that we've received. And it says, but you have come to. And that's a contrast to verse 18, where it says, for you have not come to. Verse 22, but you have come to. You've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem innumerable angels in festal gathering, the assembly of the firstborn, God, judge of all, spirits of the righteous made perfect, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, sprinkle blood, which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Wow. Again, we put on the eyes of a Jewish reader and we're so impressed knowing what they had and knowing what we have. And as we're running this endurance race, we're going, oh, man, it's going to be worth it. Verse 25 says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. It's it's a direct contrast to God's covenant people in the Old Testament when they did refuse him. And he's he's making another warning for us to be faithful, because if those people in those days weren't faithful, and we have a better covenant with better promises, with a better hope, right? That we can say, wow, if we have all this. How tragic it would be if we let it go. Verse 25 again, see that you do not refuse him who's speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, he, his voice shook the earth. This is quoting from Haggai, or at least it's a similar reference to Haggai in the Old Testament, chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised yet once more, and I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of the things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. There's going to come a time when Jesus comes back, and it's the end of the age, and that which has been made is destroyed. And we're ushered into the fullness, the richness of the kingdom as God has perfected it. And what an amazing future it is for those who are on the Lord's side. And that's what I'm wanting to encourage you with, friend, is that we have been given so, so much. And when you're at mile 20, it really doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like it. We know the victory, just like a marathon runner knows that at mile 26.2 is the victory, but mile 20 really stinks, and it doesn't feel like you're winning. This is how Hebrews 12 concludes, therefore, oh, right? (laughs) You know what I'm going to say. When you see a therefore, you back up to find out what it's there for, right? Therefore, based on Everything that we've said. And I'm going to summarize it, and then I'm going to tell you those two verses. Based on the fact that kingdom living is like running an endurance race, based on the fact that kingdom living requires painful discipline, but it's worth it, based on the fact that kingdom living pursues peace and righteousness, based on these facts, there are two let us commands. It says, first, let us be grateful receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The kingdom of heaven is here. We're part of it. The Lord's church is a part of it. We're living in the kingdom era of Jesus Christ, but the kingdom hasn't been perfected. So as we look towards the victory, when the kingdom is perfected, when God is revealed, when all that is shaken, when heaven and earth pass away and we're in eternity forever with God, in heaven. Let us be grateful that now we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You're in mile 20, but the finish line is assured. You're in mile 20, but at mile 26 is a crowd who is cheering your arrival. So let's be grateful that we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The kingdoms of men will fall. Daniel 2:34 through 45 Amazing picture of uh, this vision of a a giant statue. It's made out of head of gold and chest of silver and belly of bronze and maybe I'm getting it wrong, but uh, thighs of of uh, iron and then legs and feet of iron mixed with clay. Probably need to go to Daniel two to see what it's actually. i have probably got some of the anatomy of the statue wrong, but anyway. Then a rock comes out of heaven and smashes it. And the interpretation of the dream is that the kingdom of God shakes up the world, but it itself is unshaken. So let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, Hebrews uh, 12, verse 28 says. And the second one is, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, Verse 29 For our God is a consuming fire. You know, we're, we're, we're to have a mindset of gratitude, but we're to have an action of service. Let us offer to God acceptable worship. The way we respond to God matters. The way we worship God matters. Worshipping God in spirit and truth matters. Having a proper attitude with reverence and awe matters because God is a consuming fire. We see from old to new that God is righteous and just, and those who are outside of the father's will, he is a consuming fire that will burn them up. Those who are within the father's will can be purified by that fire. But friend, if if you and I are in the Lord's church, but we're not faithful, then be prepared to meet judgment where that consuming fire is one of punishment and not of cleansing. So that's the Bible study that I have for you today, Hebrews 12 um, it was a fun study for me to put together. I hope it was fun for you to listen to. Like I said at the beginning of this if you want to if you want to go on a binge fest you could probably after this one's done, uh, wait around for a little bit because I'm gonna I'm gonna schedule them to release every hour on the hour for the next few hours. So, yeah, listen up here in Simple Bible all day today. And um, if you haven't already, leave a five star review. And and when I say leave a five star review, if you're able to also leave a comment, you know about what you enjoy about the podcast. This helps me get the podcast out to a larger audience. So I would love to uh, hear from you. In that regard, thank you so much to those who do. I've thought about doing maybe like a a video or something where I read some of the reviews and uh, just offer the chance to interact with people. So maybe I'll do that. We'll see. I'm thinking about several things. I'm still asking for my listeners to pray. Please pray for this podcast and for kind of the future of of where I'm going to go. I'm thinking about uh, a few different things, and one of the things I've been thinking about is Patreon. I told you about that last week. I'm still kind of kicking it around, um, but I'd love to hear some feedback from anybody who has some experience with Patreon or other services where people who want to make donations to the to the, that that organization can. And while this really isn't an organization, right? It's just me. It's Jonathan, and um, the the ministry that I'm using this for requires me to update. Uh, the gear that I use, it's constantly, I feel like I'm having to use my funds to support it. And so I've been thinking about using Patreon to, for those that want to get more involved, can help me in that way. So anyway, pray about it. That's what I'm going to say. So next week, come back. I should have a guest for you to listen along with, and I look forward to that conversation. Always remember God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story. A story that is true. About a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, his roses.